All right, I'm going to spend probably 25 minutes trying to help you understand what this conference is about and how we can take what we learn from here and really apply it to the, to the practice of your, your home when, when you go back. Turn with me over to the book of Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. We're going to look at Abraham. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. The title of the message is Eyes Above Level. Eyes Above Level. What we are supposed to see. Eyes Above Level. What we are supposed to see. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door of the, in, in the heat of the day. Verse 2, And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Verse 3, My Lord, now if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Lord, help as we study. Yes, Jesus. What we, what we see here is, is the beginning of a man who was the, 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 the progenitor of the covenant. He was the beginning. God started with Abraham, and through him, he would bless all the nations of the world. But this encounter had much more to do with his world than our world. And let me back up a little bit about how this came into being. Abram came into the promised land as Abram, not Abraham. His name was changed in the 17th chapter of Genesis. And in coming in, he was doing it by obedience. God told him, go to the land I will show you, and this will be the land I will give to you and your, your, your descendants. He came. But, but in doing so, he, he had responsibilities back home. He lived in a place called Haran. And we think it was called Haran after his brother who had passed, named Haran. Abraham is listed as the first sibling out of three. Abraham, Haran, and Nahor. Abraham, being the eldest sibling, had the responsibility to care for any of the other brother's children in the event that the brother passed. Haran passed. That meant that now Haran's kids became Abram's charge. So Abram inherited Lot. He had to come into his promised land with Lot. Anybody got any lots in your life? <laughs> God said, leave your family. Well, it didn't mean leave every person in your family. It meant leave the inheritance that you have there and come with me. And, but, but he could not leave without being responsible. And so he had to take Lot with him. And Lot proved to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> Lot wasn't very grateful. Lot never said thank you. Lot didn't give a lot of, a lot of homage to, to Abram and wound up splitting the family, if you will, because he couldn't figure out how in the world to be blessed in the principal hinge, in the, in the principal hinge's house of the world. The guy upon whom the Lord would, would turn all of human history, he couldn't figure out a way to be blessed. Wherever you are, you are in a good house. And the grass is not greener any place else. 
Oh, hey, hey, let, let me say it this way. It might be, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> what does matter is this, that you know where Home Depot is, so you get some fertilizer and put it on the grass upon which you stand and start watering. They couldn't get along. Not enough turf for their herds and, and sheep to be cared for. And Abram said, listen, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to fight with you. You just, you just choose where you want to go. He says he looked up and found the greenest pasture. And he went down toward Sodom. Lived in Gomorrah, lived in Sodom. And married, we believe, a woman from Sodom. Had children there. That's where life was lived out for Lot. Abram started living his life as he should, doing what God wanted him to. And lo and behold, the, the people of Sodom had rebelled against somebody to whom they were paying tribute, taxes, another kingdom. And that kingdom came down and went to war against Sodom and Gomorrah and some other kings. Sodom and Gomorrah lost. And now all of the people became the property of the conquering king, including Lot. Abram heard about it. And though Lot was gone, Lot was still Abram's charge. He got his men, 318 men, trained in his house, along with some, some people with whom he became allies, Mamre, Eshkol, and another brother I can't remember. And those families got together and they went and chased these conquering kings who had taken captive Sodom and Gomorrah, specifically Lot, conquered those kings and, and brought back every captive. When the king of Sodom came to, to Abram, this is what he said. Keep the stuff, just give me the people. Now, does that sound like thank you to you? What bargaining position does the rescued have? When your rescuer saves you, you just get on your knees. That's all you do. That's the first place you go. Thank you. I'm yours. I'd be, I'd be dead or a slave at best. Thank you. This shows you the tenor and, and, and the disposition of the people of Sodom. Thank you was not in the vocabulary. Nobody really cared whether Sodom and Gomorrah were taken captive. In fact, it seems as if most of the land, the promised land, was saying, thank you, kings to the north. Thank you, kings to the east. These people were the worst and we are glad they are gone. Good riddance to them. And you can see why. Give me the people, you take the stuff. Abram says, I'll do you one better. I ain't taking your stuff either. Because I know you. You'll sit there and say that you made me rich. Not happening. You have no character. You have no integrity. Get out of my sight. Take everything and go home. That was the king of Sodom. There's another king, though, in a city called Salem, named Melchizedek. 
I'm getting someplace with this. This is all preface. <laughs> Salem, King of Salem comes out named, named Melchizedek, we think. And um, he offers Abram bread and wine. And he says, Blessed be the God of Abraham, and blessed be Abram most high. And offers him this bread and wine. Now, we're not talking about communion, though we can apply it to communion. We're talking about a feast. It wasn't just a loaf of bread and a little, little, wafer, a, a little cup. This was, when a king offers another conqueror or something, you're talking about a feast. This was a meal. And what, what vested interest did the king of Salem have in Abram's victory over these other kings who had taken a folk that nobody even liked? It was that this king understood. Salem means priest, king of priests, king of peace, prince of peace. This king understood something. Who are you? that would go and save those who aren't worthy to be saved. Nobody went to try to rescue them, but you. What did you value? What did you see in them that nobody else saw? You are amazing. I realize that nobody else in this promised land thinks that you need to be thanked, but I want you to know God recognized what you did, that you saved those who were not worthy to be saved. Sound like anybody? And it says Abram was so blown away that he gave him a tenth of all. He said, thank you for for coming out to acknowledge and understanding that I, I really laid down my lifeblood and my men's lifeblood for these people. Now, the whole point was to bring back Lot. But Lot was in the midst of Sodom, and so he couldn't avoid rescuing Sodom without, without bringing back Lot. Now, we get to this point. God has heard a cry from Sodom. And he's heard a cry against Sodom. It's come up to heaven. They are literally the worst people on the planet. The worst When you get God's attention, whereby he's got to consider whether he's going to wipe you out tomorrow, it's bad. It's really bad. And and, 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 and our nation, wherever you plop yourself and call home, it's bad where you are. But it's not that bad yet. Not yet. Not yet. I'm hoping it never gets that way. We are praying and fasting that it never gets that way. We are believing that the sound of the Lord is coming in the cool of the garden so that it doesn't get that way. But it's it's not, not that bad yet because he has yet to rain down fire and brimstone. Now, now, he's still got that in reserve. He said this to the generation. He said this to the generation of Noah. He said, I'll never again flood the earth. Noah gave a sacrifice after he came out of the ark. Went up as a soothing aroma to God. God said, I'll never again destroy mankind like this. But he never made that promise about what he did regarding Sodom. Never made it. And so he still got it in reserve. My point is this. If he's got it in reserve, there have been a bunch of people that probably deserved it. But not as bad as Sodom. This is bad. And God has to come down before he brings down judgment. And he's got to see. 
Now, I don't know what seeing means because he's got good vision. <laughs> he had never a problem with recognizing stuff from glory. But there seems to be some collaboration he wants to bring with respect to somebody who has vested interest in Sodom. So God appears. He just appears. <laughs> and in his appearing, he sees Abram. It, it, he could appear any place, but he decided to appear near Abram's tent. At this time, Abraham. And he knows what time of the day it is. It's warm. Hot, heat of the day. Which means in a tent where there is no air conditioning, the best place to get a breeze is on the stoop, the porch, to sit there by the, 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 the opening of the tent with a little overhang to keep the sun off you and let the breeze just pass you on by. He knows the right time to come. And Abram is outside his tent. Sometimes you got to get outside to see. And that's why we have conferences like this. You got to get out of home in order to see well. You have to leave your environment. You can't stay where you are because you might not see what you need to see. You come here, you see differently, you hear differently. You're going to go back with some information you didn't have before, with some revelation you didn't have before, with some contacts you didn't have before. Why? Because you came outside of your tent. It's dangerous to stay in the tent forever. It's nice to be in the tent. God provides homes, and you ought to relish it. You ought to enjoy it. You ought to cultivate the environment and produce health and maintain it. But you can't stay there forever. It's not healthy. Abram was sitting outside because there's, there's, there's a breeze that comes in the cool of the day. When you are in this environment, and forgive me, I'm being a little allegorical today, but it fits. When you get in this environment, you feel a breeze. There's a coolness that comes to you, even in the midst of your difficult trials. Those which have heated up to the place where it feels like you can't take it anymore. All of a sudden, you're in an environment like this, and the circumstances haven't changed, but God met you. You felt the breeze of the Holy Ghost. Abram's sitting outside his tent, and God knows it. And he shows up because he wants to have a conversation with Abraham. It says that Abram, he lifted up his eyes. His eyes ascended. Now, when you look at Scripture, you have to realize that this is somebody telling a story. The, the, the writer of Genesis, we believe, is Moses. We have every reason. We have no reason not to believe it. Everything points to the writer of Genesis being Moses. But Moses wasn't there when all this happened. This happened a good thousand years before Moses was born. How did he get the information? Well, they had some pretty good storytellers. They brought one generation down to another. But you, you know a story can get changed. <laughs> yeah. What I think happened was that when God was on the mountain with Moses, and Moses got really, he started feeling the flow, when he asked God not to kill the people after God said he's going to kill the people, he said, I'm done with them. I'll start over with you. That, oh, that's a tempting offer sometimes when you're mad at your church. 
That's tempting. That's tempting. That's to start over with old mosaics. Yeah, they've never given me a birthday party. Good idea. Good idea. And Moses said, don't kill him. Don't. Because he'll say you were able to bring him out but not able to bring him in. Don't do it, God. Don't do it. And the Lord said, I won't. But I want you to know. Surely as the earth, the water's covered the sea. My glory is going to be seen. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring about justice and I'm going to bring about mercy. I'm not going to change me. I'm just changing this decision. And Moses, Moses gets on a roll. He's saying, well, I got God to change his mind. No, you didn't. But, but, but he made you think you did. He was just testing you because you're the guy who killed the Egyptian when you got mad at somebody. And, and he wanted to find out whether you've become more of a shepherd than a warrior. And so he, he tested you with a question. But he thought he was on a roll. And so he said, Lord, show me your glory. God said, no. No, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing it, but, but you got to go then, and I need you here. So that won't work. If you see me, you can't stay. But I can show you my backside. And what we think is, those 40 days he was there, God was showing him history. Backside. And when you look at what's happening here, you see... Now, if I were telling this story, I wouldn't tell it with these details that seem not to matter. I would just tell it like, dude, God came and he walked near Moses' Moses crib and he got out and uh, Abram's crib and Moses... He walked by Abraham's crib and Abraham saw him and they got talking in negotiation and wow! It'd be about a paragraph. I'm not real big on details when I tell stories. Most men aren't. We give you headlines. So what is the point in saying Abraham was in his tent sitting on the porch, lifted up his eyes? Why? Except to let you know that there's more than just a narrative. And so when you read your Bible, read it more than just a narrative. God is trying to communicate things through the narrative that are beyond the narrative. Now you have to understand the rest of your Bible so that you understand how the Bible can speak to itself rather than you beginning to interpret what you want on the narrative. That means you've got to read your Bible. Thank you very much. He's sitting outside his tent, and all of a sudden, this, this, this little phrase, and he lifted up his eyes. It's great to be here. It really is. It helps you. But if you, if, you don't, if you don't have some intentionality about what you want to see, then you won't get met at the level of faith that you need. We, 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 we would love it if, if we could just go through life just in the right position. And that's good. It's better than being in the wrong position. But when you are in the right position, what do you do then? Oh, I live in the environment of of athletics. And coaches' entire job is to put people in the right position. That's all they can do. Call the right play for the right circumstance, putting the guys in the right position. But then once the the people are in the right position, it is their responsibility to do something with that position. Being here is good, but what are you looking at? If your eyes are inward, you're not going to get what you need. If you're thinking about your circumstances, your life, your troubles, 
your marriage, your kids, your education, your lack of money, you're not going to get what you need. Keep your eyes above level. Lift them up. Get higher. This is why sometimes when you get a prophetic word you've been asking for 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 years, Lord, I just need a word. Lord, I need a word. You know I need to hear you. Though you... Oh, you've heard him. Do you read your Bible? Mm, there are a lot of words in there. Mm, I'm just letting you know there are a lot of words in your Bible. A lot of words. But we think somehow that our prophets are going to, and I, I love it. I, I, not, I, I love it. I, I, I got one on staff. Yeah, I love it. Two on staff. I love it. But I don't need a word in order to get me to the next level. Because I read my Bible. So we come and thinking, Lord, I need a word, I need a word, I need a word. And then somebody comes and oh, you get the phone on. Oh, this is going to be crazy. He's going to hit this spot right here, right what I need. I know what God's going to say to me. And he doesn't say anything about what you want. Your eyes were down here. And now you're disappointed. Even though the supernatural came and met you. God met you the way you wanted and you were disappointed because your eyes were at level. If, if, if Abraham's eyes stayed down here, he never would have seen God. His eyes lifted. You got to raise up. Raise your eyes up in order to see what God wants you to see. And, and, and when he saw him, he said, oh, my goodness. Now, he'd never seen the Lord, just heard. The Lord had not appeared to him yet. This was the first time. And we think he appeared as in human form. We're not quite sure what this looks like. It says there were three of them. I don't even know what this is, but it's cool. It's just flat cool that God shows up to talk to Abraham. And he sees him and he says, oh, oh, and he starts running. Now you've got to understand that when it says that Abraham runs, that is strange because men don't run. Men of dignity did not run because it meant this, that something was controlling you rather than you controlling it. Jogging was not fashionable. So the only reason you would run is because something was urgent. Abraham had servants that did the running. A man of dignity strolled. He was never in a hurry because he was in control. This meant humility. He ran to meet them. And when he saw him, he bowed with his face to the ground. And said, oh my goodness, you're, you're who I think you are. I'm not quite sure, but I think you are who I think you are. And there ought to be, when we recognize God, a distinct intentional humility that comes to us. We bow our, our ideas. We bow our dreams. We bow our desires. We bow our money. And we do it in a hurry. Don't wait. 
Don't wait. Somebody came to me a few months ago and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm thinking, about, thinking about tithing. I said, I said, good, but why are you thinking? Why don't you do it? Well, I got to, I said, hurry up. I said, now, I don't need your money. It's not about me. It's about your obedience. Hurry up. Don't wait. Do not lag in your obedience, in your humility. When you have lifted up your eyes to see what you need to see, respond immediately. If you've seen some things here in this conference, respond. Don't sit there and wait. Now, there may be some things directionally that you need to talk to your pastor about, some things that may need some tweaking in terms of what you actually saw or heard that may not be as accurate as you saw or heard them. You might just be a little bit off three degrees to the right, and your pastor going to help you get straight, so you need the counsel in order to help make wise decisions. So I got all that. But you need to get on the road of trying to figure out how can I obey as quickly as I possibly can. And then Abraham says, if I have found favor in your sight, Lord, don't pass me by. And obviously he had found favor because God did not pass him by. Now, what happened subsequently is amazing. The Lord says, and we didn't read this as I close, shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? I don't think I can hide it from him. I don't think I can hide it from him. Now, why couldn't he hide it from him? God could do whatever he wants to do. It's his world. Sodom is eating food from his earth, drinking water from his springs. He can do whatever he wants. But why consult with Abraham about what Sodom needs? Judgment that is right to be given. Because Abraham sacrificed intentionally his life to save them. Is there any reason for God to have a conversation with you? Who have you laid your, laid your life down for? What community have you given yourself to? What have you sacrificed for? How have you given yourself to this world whereby if judgment were to come to the folks for whom you sacrificed, God would not want to do it unless he talked to you because you gave too much to save them? Is there any reason for God to have a conversation with you about his mission on the planet? Dear prophet, oh prophets, we want to hear about national agenda, do we not? Don't we want to hear about what he's going to do in the nations? We want to raise the level of our influence from being those who can give personal encouragement to people to now talking about communities. But how vested are you in the place that you want to hear about? Is there any reason he could come by your tent and say, I think I need to have a cup of coffee with Jane before I do this. I think I got to have a conversation with Pastor LaFoon before I embark on this mission. And not just about nations, about individuals, about communities. May you be so involved in your community and seeing things change. Please hear me. We prophets love to hear God and we love to discharge our ministry with the word. And that's great. We want to get discernment so we can pray well. But you are not absolved from being a really good Christian. 
and an excellent witness of him to your community simply because you got a special gift to be able to hear well. You need to be a great witness and you need to get out there and be a normal Christian to those who don't know anything about Jesus. Simply because you can hear really well and you are confined to a spot doesn't mean that is your only spot. Yeah, I'm going to brag on somebody. Pastor Danelle Perkins is amazing. I mean, listen, I got a great staff. They're all amazing. But this one here, she has more testimonies about praying for people at Safeway at the checkout counter. Goes to the doctor's office, talks to somebody in the waiting room, prays for them, sees them healed, they ain't got to go to the doctor no more. Ah! And and, and on top of that, pastor-oriented, prophesying, hearing, intercessory-related, but she's concerned about our community. And so if something's going to happen in Stone Ridge, which is where she lives, right outside of that way, Stone Ridge... (laughs) Something going to happen to Stone Ridge? I got to go have a cup of coffee with Danelle. I don't know if I would ever warn a conversation about what's going to happen in D.C., but I'm trying. I'm trying to make it really hard for God to do anything without talking to me. I'm trying. I don't know that I'll ever arise to that kind of prominence, and I'm not looking for it. I don't need personal interaction like that. But I am doing all I can to see this city won. Is there any reason that God might want to stop off and just have a cup of coffee with you? That's what it turned into. Abram said, can I, fi- can I fix you? Can, I- can we go to Starbucks? Can I fix you some food? And it says he prepared a lamb. Do you know how long that takes? I mean, the lamb was living. we're talking hours God just stopped off just hung out for hours until he could prepare the meal God's got a lot of stuff to do but none more important that day than to hang out with Abraham and talk to him about what he was going to do in Sodom May you garner that kind of support, that kind of influence, because you lift your eyes. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Please help us to be really good believers. Help us to to not keep our eyes level. I thank you, God, for producing a people that are more concerned about others than they are themselves. That consider the privilege of carrying our cross, the inconvenience of our lives, and happy about it. Do what you only can do in making us better like you, more like you. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. Bless you.